Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert, along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us and over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. And Sean, the Texans' first preseason game is Thursday. Unfortunately, bad news Monday, Titus Howard and his new contract will be out with a broken hand. What are the repercussions, Sean? Is this an Altuve deal where he might miss a month and a half, but maybe just two games, I guess, in that scenario? Well, they said four to six weeks, so they also left open the opportunity for him to be ready uh, for week one of the regular season. So it doesn't sound like it was, you know, one of the little smaller bones, you know, towards the back end of your hand. Yeah. Um, rather, you know, something, you know, bigger, you know, the big part of your hand. And we don't know how he did it. At least I haven't heard or read anything to this point. But four to six weeks, possibly ready for week one. Uh, what that looks like personnel-wise, Titus had actually left practice, like, early, I want to say sometime last week. Maybe it was just to get Fant some reps, probably, you know, the case. Yeah. Um, and so Fant had gotten some opportunities there. Looked okay. Kind of like, you know, I think I used the analogy with you the other day. It's kind of like Major League Baseball umpire, like the complete opposite of Angel Hernandez. Like, if you don't really see him, then he's probably doing a pretty good job uh, otherwise. But Fant got first team reps today. But they also worked in Austin Deculus, a second-year tackle whom the Texans drafted last year. And he was banged up most of the season. But just a behemoth of a human being. Like, this guy is gigantic. If you've never seen him in person, he looks like an ogre. And that's no offense to him. I mean, he is just rock solid. <laughs> you, you, you forget he's there because we yeah. see so little of him. And we didn't, yeah. we didn't even think about him in, in all his scenarios. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited because, you know, he's actually looked good. And I'm happy that he's healthy in camp this year. He's just so big, man. And I hope he does really, really well. He got some first-team reps today in practice for the first time all camp. And then, um, you know, Tyler Beach, who'd filled in in spot duty here and there, you know, in rotations, to be honest with you, had probably gotten some first-team reps because Titus, you know, like I mentioned, I think he'd sat out like a day or something. Didn't miss a full day, but maybe like the second half of team. Uh, so he got some reps last week. Beach got some run again. How about, how, how about uh, Charlie Heck? How, how serious? He's been on the pup list with the foot issue. How serious is that? Do you know? Well, I haven't heard anything specific about the foot, but obviously I know he's been on the pup list since camp started. And to be quite honest with you, like I see him sometimes, but most of the time I don't. I was looking for him today. I was the first one on the field today. Um, and I saw Tegan Quatoriano, uh, Brevin Jordan, those guys were getting their side work, you know, the rehab work in on a side field. A number of players like Will Anderson, you know, they came out getting their work early. I looked everywhere for Charlie Heck. Didn't see him. So uh, he's been MIA. You know, look, maybe he's staying in, got some treatment this morning. I was looking for Titus, too. You know, I knew Titus had hurt his hand on Saturday at practice, and I just I fully expected to see him out there, have it wrapped up, and at least watching and taking in, like, mental reps and stuff today. But sure, he was getting surgery, so – um, there's that. No, I mean, you're going to be looking at George Fant, uh, Austin Deculus, Tyler Beach, you know, right tackle in the rotations on Thursday night. And you just kind of hope for the best that the rest of the offensive line stays healthy between now and the regular season until Titus comes back, certainly. Yeah, you mentioned George Heck, George Fant, I should say. I'm confused. I'm mixing the two of them up. But you mentioned him. His story is wild. He played basketball, not football, for four years at Western Kentucky, if people don't know that. And 
his friends and coaches urged him to play football, but he refused. He got letters from multiple NFL teams in 2015 asking if he'd give pro football a try, but he threw the letters away, according to what I read. And then he changed his mind on football after weighing his options of either playing basketball overseas in Poland or trying football with a wife and a child to take care of. He chose football. He used his fifth year of eligibility at Western Kentucky to play tight end, tight end, not tackle, then studied tapes of Jimmy Graham, another football to basketball guy. He goes undrafted in 2016, but the Seahawks took a shot on him. O-line coach Tom Cable, who's very good at this, converted him to tackle. He's been known to do these type of reclamations and then shot in 516 snaps with the Jets last year. Pro Football Focus gave him a 48.4 grade. Not good, but the year before, he had a 71 grade on 889 snaps. He ranked first in least sacks allowed of 71 eligible tackles. So he does have a history of being a pretty solid tackle. He's not some guy that's just a scrappy guy with no experience. Like if you don't know his story, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I'm going to have to ask him about that, uh, certainly the basketball angle as well, because that's really, really interesting. And being so young with a family and making those types of decisions, that's that's always an interesting thing. You know, last year, though, he wasn't really healthy with the Jets, I don't think, either. Uh, he played in, like, seven or eight ball games, and the numbers that he'd put up the previous two years with the Jets since coming over to them from the Seattle Seahawks, uh, they were much better. Look, he's been a serviceable guy, you know, could be a starter in this league, and certainly a good, viable backup. And, I mean, man, you think about it, as good as we felt the night of the draft when the Texans took both Juice Scruggs and Jarrett Patterson for the center position. And obviously Patterson, you know, can be a swing guy too, as well as Scruggs, you know, play a little guard. Man, <laughs> that Michael Dieter signing and George Fant and them kind of beefing up uh, the depth at the offensive line position, you know, you cross your fingers, you hope they don't need so much more of it, but good thing they did make those decisions when they did because, you know, they brought in Fant late. And it wasn't as if they foresaw something like this happening with Titus. I mean, they make him, you know, a top five, top four paid right tackle in the league. You'd like to have the guy out there week one, but you could do a heck of a lot worse than a guy like George Fant, who, look, he's got good size to him. I can't speak too much to what I've seen from him in terms of pass protection, because to be quite honest with you, especially here of late, the last three practices specifically, they've kind of walled off what they're doing offensively. And I really think that's due to them. Being so close to Thursday night's preseason opener, they're doing a lot more specific install. They want us to see a lot less. But what I have noticed in terms of run blocking, he's looked really good. Beach has looked much improved. Even Austin Deculus has looked pretty good today, especially. I got to see a lot of him in his first team reps, and he worked in with the number twos as well. Looks really good, really strong coming off the ball. If there's anything I'd say that I'd be a little bit worried about in terms of what the Texans would like to do in the run game and, you know, having some new guys in there is getting to the second level. I noticed specifically today with Austin Deculus made a great initial block on a play-action rollout by Stroud. Made a great initial block, but when he got to the second level, and he did get to the second level, he just had a really difficult time holding and really just reaching the safety, whoever it was. And so that would be just something I'm kind of initially worried about, but that's why you're glad you have guys like Singletary and Pierce in the backfield that can make guys miss, or just simply, if you're Pierce in his case, like we've been come to used to see him you know, do over just the last 
uh, season, his first one, lower the shoulder and mow right through him. Yeah, the second level is going to be key with this Bobby Slowick offense for sure. And also, you know, I, I feel like I buried the lead, but Sean, people were going to want to know about this, that C.J. Stroud was named starting quarterback Thursday. Uh, it's the preseason, so, you know, but we, we knew this was coming. Have you seen improvements with Stroud since our last show back on Thursday? Here's the thing. It, I haven't really seen him have a really bad practice. Like, look, he had the two picks last Monday and then threw another interception on Tuesday. Nearly had one picked off today by Christian Harris. Uh, Harris, you know, read the play beautifully. You know, the linebackers just kind of dropped to their zone. He was sitting in that little window just waiting for that slot, you know, to clear out on a little in route. Maybe it was a dig route or something like that. And, you know, Stroud was looking, I think, at a crosser, and Harris just read it perfectly and put both hands up and kind of ended up batting it down. And Harris was mad at himself, you know, thought he should have had the pick. But, you know, it's it's things like that where, you know, Stroud, they're not necessarily bad decisions. It's maybe just a little bit of timing, you know, with these routes and his throws. I'm um, also wondering, I wanted to ask you about this because we, we have seen the interceptions throughout camp. How yeah. much is it timing and then how much is it is – this Slowick offense is a lot for these guys. I know he's trying to ease them into it, but it's a lot. And is there stuff where, you know, you're, he's just trying to, or these other quarterbacks are just trying to figure out what's going on and, and maybe it's coming at him a little bit fast, right? The interceptions, to be quite honest with you, I, I don't think they're really at all about making poor decisions or guessing or just bad reads. I just think they're really good plays by the defense. And I think that you're seeing Stroud and Mills in this offense, really work on trying to take some shots and figure out what they can and can't do in this offense, which is, again, it sounds so blanketed because, to be honest with you, you could talk, you could say the same thing about any offense. You know, it's predicated on timing, good route running, the attention to small details. Every coach speaks the same way. Uh, but it is so true, especially with younger quarterbacks and learning a new system. Those things do matter and quarterbacks are going to take their shots. That's the first thing that I noticed even in minicamp when we had an opportunity to go out there and watch Stroud for the first time. Dude was taking shots and seven-on-seven in situational stuff, marching up down the field. He's not a guy that was going to pull the ball down and just try to make a play with his legs, though we've seen that a little bit more here in training camp. I, I think because he's going to need to do that stuff, I think he's testing the waters a little bit. And then, two, it's hard to tell because a lot of times – the defense, the pass rush is getting to Stroud, but you're not going to touch the quarterback. They're not going to play the play. They're not going to blow the play dead. D'Amico wants to see, Bobby Slowick wants to see the play finish out. So what looks like a pretty good scamper might have actually resulted in a sack if you're allowed to touch the quarterback. But I don't think at all, honestly, that this is something that's overwhelming the quarterbacks. Nobody's spoken to that, and we've asked about it a couple of times, various different people, and they talked about just quite simply how friendly the system is and how well uh, all of the quarterbacks and receivers and just the entire offense has taken to it. So keep in mind, too, you've got, you've got guys in here on every level, really, in every position group that are used to and have experience with a West Coast offense. Right now, these quarterbacks is maybe a little bit different story, but then don't forget about Case Keenum. There's a reason why he's not getting a lot of reps. He's more of a mentor and a coach on the field, and he spoke for the first time today at the podium and you know reiterated that. And you and I had an exclusive with him earlier this off season, and I, what I thought was funny, I know you didn't ask this, but he was asked today, not by me, how would he describe the Bobby Slowick offense? And 
he thought about it for a second. And I have to ask him later on, like, who first coined this? But he did say exactly what he did with us. This is like the greatest hits of the West Coast offense. And I want to know if he coined that, if Shanahan coined that, Kubiak, Slowick, whoever it was. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, good stuff. Um, Everybody's heard of the two-minute drill. Sean, I'm about to hit you with the one-minute drill. And you get a max of one minute to answer these quick questions at 10 seconds. If we get that far, you're going to hear a ding when time's up. You get a buzzer. You got it? Got it. Which Texans offensive player has impressed you most? Go. Nico Collins. Um, I think people are sleeping on him. You got a maybe bad taste in your mouth over the course of the last two years, but by no stretch. Uh, do I think the the first two years of a guy's career should define it, especially considering the situation that he was in offensively? That you know he's on his third different offensive coordinator now. Uh, you know, multiple quarterbacks throwing him balls over the last couple of years. Dude has done nothing but make plays in this offense so far. So I think Nico Collins, and especially you know for the last three practices, I really think has emerged as as a number one option on this team for the Texans. Okay, let's reset the clock. Next question. Which offensive starter worries you? Ooh, which offensive starter worries me? Um, nobody really right now for the sake of, like, execution, I would say. Aside from maybe Kenyon Green, he needs to be a better pass setter. Um, and, you know, it worries me a little bit more because we know a lot less than we think we know about C.J. Stroud. So I would say Kenyon Green in that respect, but also Tank Dell, who I think is going to end up being the starting slot receiver for this Texans team. And I just worry about him, um, you know, for his sustainability and, and staying healthy. I haven't seen him, you know, really make himself susceptible to taking any really huge hits this camp. But I do worry about it when the bullets are flying for real and safeties are sinking down on this dude and just ready to load the world. Yeah, you got yeah. that. But you had a few seconds to go. And just for, for a few more seconds, you're telling me uh, you, you think Dell's the starter over Mechie. Yeah, and I told you John Mechie last week because I thought he had a really, really great week. Tank's been consistent. But man, he's – it doesn't matter who's throwing them the football, Robert. It, it, if it's Davis, if it's CJ, they're just finding this dude. And there's a reason. Everybody's talked about it. He just gets open. He made a fantastic play on Saturday and another one today on an intermediate, I would say an intermediate out route. And it was just a perfectly placed ball by CJ. And he high pointed it, came down, chop, 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 got his feet in bounds real quick. And it's just, those are the types of plays in this offense, especially. There's, you're going to see a lot of those out routes, deep intermediate plays like that, crossing routes where you're head to the sideline and there's just a small window for that quarterback to get a guy a ball. That guy's been able to go make a play. And it's been such a long time that we've seen a Texan receiver not named DeAndre Hopkins be that fast and go make those kinds of plays. All right, let's go for a minute again. Which defensive player impressed you the most? Christian Harris, uh, he's really been popping to me. You know, I mentioned he almost picked C.J. Stroud earlier today. I think it was in the early portion of 11 and 11. Uh, the guy's just everywhere. And I think, you know, with this defense specifically, asking so much of its linebackers, and I say that because 
really with both of your defensive ends, I mean, they're almost playing wide nines. They're, I mean, they're way out there, the tackles. And you've got your two interior defensive linemen with the linebackers there to read run. But if they read pass, their job is going to be, if it's not in man situations, to drop into zone, keep their eyes up for anything coming out of the backfield, go sideline to sideline. Nobody's been able to do it better and look more natural uh, athletically and gifted as Christian Harris. This dude looks like he did in his last year at Alabama where he was just making plays all over the place. All right, just in the nick of time, that time, let's go to number four. Which defensive starter worries you? We went with the offensive starter. What's the defensive starter that worries you? <sighs> defensive starter that worries me, I mean, I'd probably have to say – I'd probably have to say in, on the interior because it's going to be Malik and it's going to be Sheldon Rankins, Malik Collins and Sheldon Rankins. And I just, I need to see more from Malik Collins. You know, we saw plenty of them last year, but you know, he was a part of one of the worst rush defenses in the entire league last year. And Sheldon Rankins who's very used to the system coming from, you know, the jets, uh, solid running a similar scheme as D'Amico, um, was actually really good against the run. And he's known for a pass rusher on the interior and put up some of the best numbers in the entire league when he's on the field what the run does against the defense versus when he's off and what the run does. So I'm really excited to see the impact that Rankins can have on a guy like Collins. But I need to see a little bit more from Malik before I have uh, the faith that they're going to be. Oh, he got cut off right there at the end. But yeah, that's that's a good one because uh, we haven't talked much about Rankins or Collins so far. So I, I'm glad you brought those guys up. Uh, more likely to get a non-special team. Well, not just one. More likely to get non-special team snaps. In other words, offensive, defensive snaps. Which one of these two guys more likely to get offensive or defensive snaps than special team snaps? Henry Toa Toa or Xavier Hutchison, you got a minute. More likely to get offensive or defensive snaps than just special teams. Ooh, you know, I think Toa Toa is going to be in the equation later on this season. I, I really think um, they've got plans for him at linebacker. And it really, to me, it, it could be much earlier, and it kind of comes down to who's healthier at that position, right, and who's who's making plays. He can certainly command a defense. That's what he's done. He was a team captain in Alabama, called the defense for Saban. Um, but I think down the road, and you know, we'll see how the season plays out. But Xavier Hutchinson, man, dude's been making plays. He's been kind of Mr. Consistent all camp long, too, in terms of obviously his work ethic, but just noticing a guy. You know, there's guys like Robert Woods where you're looking to see if he's making plays. You don't know who this dude is. You just see number 19 out there. He just stands out because when the ball's thrown to him, he comes up with a catch. I think we'll see. I think we'll see plenty of Xavier Hutchinson at all points if he's healthy during the season. Oh, you, you, you never gave me an answer. You, you told me both guys we're going to see. Is there is there one or the other we're going to see more of? Early on, you're going to see more more Hutchinson. I mean, I thought I I didn't say it just flat out like that. Oh, early on, you're going to see more Hutchinson, and I think you'll see Toa Toa being more of a special teams contributor. Besides Pierce and Singletary, is there a running back who's getting buzz? Who is the third running back? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, I think contractually, I mean, you could kind of just guess that it's probably going to be Mike Boone. Um, but 
Valadez looked really good in opportunities that he's gotten. Um, I think he missed some opportunities last week in camp to be like, wow, who's this dude? Um, with some balls that were thrown to him by Davis Mills and Case Keenum on a, a seam route and a wheel route. Just, I mean, that far. And I was talking to somebody today about that. It's like quarterback, receiver, like who is it? You know what I mean? Like whose fault is that? What do you do in those situations? They need to see guys make plays out of the backfield from that position. But Mike Boone, I was actually looking at him today. He got some good carries, looks really good on inside zone, got a good burst, low center of gravity, um, controls the ball well. Taking care of the football, by all accounts, from the running backs, not been an issue this year. And that's, um, you know, to be expected. You're not really hard-hitting in practice. I would say Mike Boone. I would say Mike Boone's probably your guy. I mean, we're not going to see guys get hit until really getting hit. I mean, have we seen guys getting hit yet? Yeah, they were they were going pretty good on Saturday night, and they were thudding up uh, today. And look, D'Amico, I don't know if you caught, you know, him mic'd up last week, but, you know, he's getting on to Henry Toa Toa, you know, on the punch out drill and even on 11 on 11 stuff like, hey, you know, get your elbow up above the wrist and punch it out. He wants to see guys willingly try to create turnovers and make plays. He wants this team to lead the NFL in turnovers created this year. And look, every defensive coach has those kind of lofty goals, but. We know how aggressive, you know, a lot of these guys already were defensively last year. The secondary, certainly, you want to see that up front, D-line, linebackers, making plays, thudding guys up, being thumpers. And I think we have seen it a little bit. I was impressed how much we saw it on Saturday. It was pretty much for a good solid 45 minutes to an hour at the end of practice, and fans enjoyed it. I know I did. But, yeah, you can only judge so much. We'll have to see a little bit more, obviously, once preseason starts. And, you know, you're back in guys like Boone and Valaday and Dokes get more reps. But I would say just right now, because nobody's really separated from anybody for that third guy, I'd have to say it's probably Mike Boone. Okay, who could be the biggest surprise cut? Man, I don't know, like surprise cuts, like just I'll rattle off a couple and you tell me if they're a surprise to you. Um, Garrett Wallow, you know, in the linebacker core, uh, wouldn't be surprised at all to see him go. And to be quite honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised to see Christian Kirksey go because the dude can't, <laughs> you can't make the team if you're not playing. And he's been out for you know better part of a week now, I feel like. He's out there getting his work in every day and watching, taking mental reps. But I mean... They could save a lot of money, about $6 million if they cut them. Maybe be a surprise to a few people, but not me. Um, you know, those two guys stand out. If I'm missing one, you know, you might throw a name on them. You'd be like, oh, yeah, but. Yeah, uh, Kirksey was the one, but I don't, again, you're right. I don't know if he is a surprise. Yeah, I mean, it, just because it would make financial sense. Um, I'd have to look at a list, like you know, elsewhere for the depth chart to give you a really good one if there is one. All right. Well, those are my, my minute questions. Uh, were there, was there anything that we missed in the last few days we haven't talked about from camp? Anything on the defensive side, for example, that you think we didn't get around to? I think we need to focus a little bit more on the interior, but that's almost like a wait-and-see approach. Now, D'Amico Ryans was asked today, look, hey, you know, alongside Malik Collins – Who's your dude, you know? And today it was Sheldon Rankin's day to uh, talk to the media. D'Amico basically said, I think he did say, like, Sheldon's our guy. You know, he was talking, he basically, it was a short answer. He said something to the effect, like, yeah, you know, there's some other guys competing, but Sheldon's our guy. <laughs> it just kind of threw that in there. So you're looking at Rankin's and Collins on the interior. And I was a little bit surprised that, 
I, I guess, you know, you can flip guys around, but Roy Lopez has looked freaking good, man. Uh, it really flashed last week. Maybe it was, I think it was last week, uh, and not just Saturday, but I mean, batted two balls down on the D line and you can visibly see how much this guy's body has changed. So everything that people are saying is so true about Lopez. Go look at his Instagram, by the way. He's got a couple of pictures up there, and you can really see the difference. Some pictures last year versus this year. He is just thick and just solid muscle, man, and he's moving well. He's intense out there, making plays, like I mentioned, batted two passes down, stuffing the run. Hassan Ridgeway is another guy. You know, they just signed another defensive tackle today, I do believe, in a late roster move. A uh, third-year guy out of Nebraska. Uh, his name's slipping my mind, but, you know, they're getting bodies in there. I, I get it. You know, maybe guys getting a little bit more uh, playing time than they'd like, and you want to spread things out a little bit as the preseason begins here in a few days. But I think the defensive line, especially the interior, we need to focus on a little bit more. I'd like to look at Jonathan Grenard, Jerry Hughes, some of the ends. Um, I'm going to be watching them pretty close on Thursday night just to see technique-wise what they're doing, how much pressure that's putting on the interior and specifically the linebackers. Because if you're going to try to stuff the run and you have to be better at the run this year, that asks a lot of your linebackers and your interior linemen if you're going to put those in so far out. Uh, now their job's to squeeze, stay home, you know, and make sure that nobody gets outside of them. But and it's a lot easier said than done. You know, technique, which Jerry Hughes said the other day, has been a key point of emphasis for D'Amico Ryans in this camp and not really, you know, making guys think with scheme and stuff like that. Focus on your fundamentals. Focus on technique. Because when stuff gets crazy, that's you always have that to fall back on. And his mentality for this defense is just go get quarterback. Go get the quarterback. Stuff the run. So we'll see how that plays out in a defense that they're saying is very simple to learn. Similar to the offense, very friendly to quarterback, running back, tight end. We've heard it all, right? I know it's confusing to some. Damian Pierce says it's like the Bible. <laughs> you know, it's just so much to learn in terms of volume. But, you know, we'll see. There's a lot There's a lot to evaluate. Really nothing to, I think, really feel comfortable with, Robert, outside of the secondary on this team right now. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think the big worry on offense for, for everybody, the quarterback, of course, always a big deal. But Really, the big concern is this offensive line. We talked about what's going on with the tackles position earlier, but I'm just curious from your perspective and from what you're hearing from people when you're out at camp. You know, I, I hear people complimenting Kenyon Green a lot, but he is the biggest question on this offensive line moving forward of everybody. I mean, Juice Scruggs, this is year one. Year two, this is a big, big time for Kenyon Green. And I've heard things about him that he maybe, you know, wasn't the most motivated guy last year. Uh, he wasn't somebody that, you know, you, you, you thought from some of the people that were out there that eh, he, he wasn't somebody that was real focused. And, you know, this this was life and death for him. Do, do you get a feeling that they like him? They like Kenyon Green? Is, is there a change in him from his rookie to his uh, second year? I won't say there's a big change. It's certainly, you know, there was talk of him putting on some weight and getting stronger in the offseason. He hasn't popped to me in, in, in terms of that, but guys are certainly, 
you know, paying attention to them. I think you kind of got to read between the lines, take it with a grain of salt until you see it for yourself. I mean, guys are going to protect guys, build confidence, you know, make sure they have their back. They're trying to create a unit here. We all know, and I think it's still apparent this camp, that Kenyon just needs to be better, uh, you know, at pass setting, pass protection. We know what he can do as a run blocker. I think if you're confident in part of anything in his game, it's that. It's the question of health. And can he be a better pass protector with the rookie quarterback back there now officially in C.J. Stroud? I won't say that, you know, he's he's got the biggest question mark. I mean, there's a pretty big question mark in terms of Juice Scruggs as well. And I say that because, like, yeah, maybe it's built in already because he's a first-year player, but they drafted him where they did for a reason. But given Questenberry, up until two practices ago, three practices ago, whenever he got hurt, all the first-team reps – and Scruggs working with the twos and mainly threes at center and guard positions and now being thrust into the fire, I think there's, you know, some question marks there. But again, he's been running with the ones the last two days. So you know what? He's looked pretty dang good. Stroud, I, I'd say, if anything, really all the quarterbacks, the last couple of days of practice, the pressure hadn't really been getting to them. They're going to let the plays go, but you can tell pretty easily, like, when there's a sack, like when a guy would have gotten to somebody, you're seeing a lot less of that. Maybe I can recount like one time today where I thought, yeah, CJ, that's probably a sack. And I don't even, I think Mills stayed clean on the second and third team reps too, along with Keenum, but really hadn't been an issue with the ones. So I think it's a wait and see TBD for Scruggs as well. And then obviously George Fant, he's a new guy. He's been in camp for less than a week or so. You got to see some from him. So an offensive line that on paper you felt pretty good about, <laughs> you know, now you got these new guys in. You get a second-year player at left guard, a rookie at center, and a new guy at right tackle, and you really feel good about just two staple veterans, Mason and Tunsil, right now. So I think the offensive line as a group, it's a big TBD as far as we go. I did want to mention this because there's something that uh, you know I wanted to get to earlier about C.J. Stroud. I watched quarterback individual drills today. That's all I watched. They spent probably 20 minutes on special teams. Quarterbacks went to a side field working Gerard Johnson, just throwing to, uh, you know, camp hands, you know, working different routes and stuff like that. And I was paying attention to what the ball looks like out of Case Keenum's hand versus Davis Mills and C.J. Stroud. I'm telling you right now, it is easy to see who the veterans are at throwing a football right now. The ball, I'll tell you, if you ask me who throws the best football right now in camp, it's Davis Mills. He is so fundamentally and mechanically sound. The ball just snaps out of his hand. Throws a great ball. Deep, intermediate, short. It's on target. It's there. It's getting there quick. Wasn't on target last year. No. You know, guys can get better. Guys can improve. I think he's looked really good at throwing the football. Keenum. I mean, nobody throws a better deep ball than Case with the touch, uh, just drops it in buckets. Mills has had some of those this camp this year. But specifically with Stroud, and a lot of people don't know this because they're not pouring over, you know, training camp stuff, and they're not looking at all the videos that all of us are putting out on Twitter every day during practice. I'm telling you, if you watch that preseason game on Thursday, I think you're going to probably hear and see a lot of people saying, boy, CJ throws kind of a wobbly ball. He gets the ball out quick. And he's won the job for a reason. He's making right reads, good decisions, on schedule. He's getting the ball to his receivers at the right time. But he just throws a different ball. And I was talking to a few guys earlier today. One of them used to play quarterback in the NFL, Clint Sterner, and just said, I think it's maybe a weight transfer thing. It's where he's releasing the football to. 
His shoulder's kind of flying open a little bit. He's just not as mechanically sound as he should be yet. And so I think it's a question of like, maybe this is something to keep an eye on throughout the course of the preseason and season when Stroud's on the field, because those kinds of things do matter. They do affect a game. The kind of ball that you're going to throw, it's outside, inside, all those things. And I'm not a quarterback guru by any stretch, but I'm just saying, keep an eye on that because it's very apparent who the veterans are and who throws the best balls and the snap, the Christmas that they have on them. Stroud can get it there. When Stroud's right, nobody throws a better ball. His ball is perfect, but it's the consistency. More times than not, you're going to see a ball with a little bit of wobble to it, and I just want to see how that translates uh, to when the bullets are flying for real, what that looks like, what that means to the team and the offense specifically. Is it surprising you? Because that's not something that we heard that they were concerned about with C.J. Stroud coming out. No, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's the first time I've, I've really – you know, paid attention. It doesn't surprise me in the sense that, look, the guy's a rookie and results is what you, you really seek, right? Is, 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 is again, like he's staying on schedule is the ball getting to the receiver when it needs to get there. Is he throwing guys open? My gosh, is he throwing guys open tank? You know, seems like every ball he throws to tank, he's like five, seven, 10 yards away from the football before it's like released and he just breaks and it's there perfect that's from Stroud or Mills but mechanics is that something you can continue to really work on through camp preseason regular season or do you just kind of throw your hands up and say all right you know this is something that we'll wait for the offseason because we don't want to mess with the guy and get him thinking too much or you know have him swimming in his head a little bit but I, I just again I think it's something to keep an eye on I'm not surprised because he's a young guy I know he's got the mo for being accurate okay but again it's one thing to be accurate versus you know throwing the best crisp football out of anybody maybe it means nothing maybe it means something at the end of the day I don't know Astros split two and two against the Yankees this weekend but the major news coming out right before you and I got started Sean is Corey Jelks is out they sent him back to Sugarland and back with the Astros get out your 2014 John Singleton jerseys because John Singleton is back and frankly Sean, he needs to be back because Jokes has been terrible. Jose Abreu, who, you know, everybody proclaimed him, oh, he's back to MVP Abreu. No, no, no. He had a, he had a few good weeks. This is why you worry about a 36-year-old. He's struggling a little bit. It'd be nice to have somebody that you were feel, felt comfortable playing at first base. They don't feel comfortable playing Yonder Diaz. It'd be nice if they did because it'd be great to just be able to get him on the field more. But the big deal, Sean, with this is John Singleton had a 333 average in Sugarland over 32 games. He had 14, I think, no, 12 home runs, averaging almost one and three games, home runs, over 1,000 OPS. So John Singleton, it, maybe this is the revival. The guy in his early 30s, you know, could we see a good movie out of this? But that's a good story. I don't know. I hope it is a good story. I just hope he hits American League pitching better than he did National League pitching when he was up with the Brewers earlier this season because he stunk whenever they called him up. Looked like John Singleton of 2015. <laughs> it's like, dude, never left. Yeah. Um, he, he very well just could be a quad A player, man. Just, you know, flat out a really good minor league baseball power hitter. I'd say this, like, 
it's really good timing to be able to do this if you're Dusty Baker and the Astros. Uh, Jokes has been struggling at the plate. You give him an opportunity to go down Sugarland, work some things out, maybe find his swing again, because I think he can contribute. He certainly has contributed to this point in major ways for this Astros ball club and provided, you know, some consistency uh, to a team that desperately needed it whenever they were without Jordan and really without uh, Altuve and, you know, guys like Bregman or Tucker were struggling and scuffling. Um, but it's another huge thing to be able to take a gamble, uh, roll the dice, if you can even call it that. Just take a shot on Jonathan Singleton with Jordan and Altuve back and Tucker doing his thing and Bregman playing ball. And, you know, you're getting regular contributions from your dudes. Chaz McCormick has been amazing. I mean, they're getting contributions all over. All Jake over. Myers with two, three-run yeah. home runs, and I'm sure that expedited jokes – into the minors and Jokes just could not he could not get out of that slump they kept giving him shots and he just could not get out of it and I I, I just want to say this on Singleton you said you hope he does better than National League pitching he had 32 plate appearances he had 29 official ABs in the National League it was the first time in eight years he'd seen Major League pitching it it takes a while you know yeah, I, I think it to get the you know to get used to the speed and the breaking pitch and whatever. And, and it might take a while with the ass. You're going to have to give him a few more than five or six at bats here to, to get him and see what he can do. But he's a lefty and a is a righty. And if you want to see him against right handers, you're going to see a lot more right handers than left handers. So if you want to give him a real shot here, you, you have a chance to give him a real shot to, to try to do something. Yeah, no question. And look, you know, Milwaukee's in the middle of a division race as well themselves. And, I don't know their situation, you know, from a depth chart standpoint, um, you know, why they maybe couldn't afford to give him a little bit longer of an opportunity to to figure out if, uh, you know, he could be a contributor down the home stretch for them. But um, nevertheless, they made the determination. And again, I think it's a great uh, situation for the Astros where you get two of your hosses back, you know, over the course of the last few weeks and Altuve and Jordan, and you can take a shot with a guy that's scuffling. You know, you've given Abreu every opportunity uh, possible to figure himself out and to get himself going to be that consistent guy that he's been throughout his career. Um, and he just hadn't put it together. Maybe he gets it back, you know, one day. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe you find lightning in a bottle in John Singleton. You don't know unless you try. Um, the thing is, this lineup's good enough to where you don't have to rely upon, you know, that one guy, if it's a Brayu, if it's Singleton or a Jokes, you get you get it from anybody else and everybody else with this lineup. So, you know, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Um, I just I, I hope, you know, if I took away anything from this weekend with Verlander, you know, making his debut and Urquidy coming back, it's um, give it a little bit of time. You know, uh, you get two new guys. I don't know what we necessarily expected out of the situation. I mean, I, I guess I know we do because we expect to win every single night. But if we're being realistic, you know, I like what I saw from Urquidy, to be honest with you, you know, in terms of his velocity and, you know, going into a tough situation, tough stage on the road for his first game back in months. And Verlander gave you every opportunity, you know, to go get a dub. And uh, sometimes it falls that way. But I, I like the fact that those two guys are in the rotation. And uh, I don't know if I agree with sending JP down versus like a hunter, you know, as a bullpen guy. But um, as long as they're going to be asked to contribute in positive ways, in meaningful ways, um, I guess I'm here for it because either one of those guys, both of them really have to load manage them going forward because 
they're already right at their threshold of career highs innings pitch from the minors, albeit, but um, it's there. It's a real thing. They're young. I know JP's not too, too young, but I'm 40. He's 28. He's young to me. And so you got to be smart about the whole thing and optimize, you know, uh, your, your best situation for success in the postseason. But, hey, you're not as close as you were a week ago when, you know, you were a half game out of the Rangers. You were tied with the Rangers. So they still have some work to do. Um, and that three-game series with the Rangers, Robert, I think it's, what, the second or third to last series of the season? That's getting bigger and bigger and bigger now that the Astros go day by day and they're continuing to look up at Texas. Yeah, there was one thing that we failed to get into with the Kendall Grayman trade. And, you know, I, I, I just, uh, I, I, like I said at the time, I just, I didn't mind trading Corey Lee. Mm-hmm. But was Kendall Grayman worth giving up somebody like a Corey Lee? And that's the real question because Grayman has not looked good so far his first couple of outings. And it, granted, it's just two outings, but Grayman has not looked good. And I need to remind everybody out there, you know, Kendall Grayman, he had a great year that year with the Astros and the Mariners, but that's an outlier. That is an outlier because his career whip is 1.329. That's not good for a reliever at all. So, you know, Kendall Graveman, if he can get that magic back from that one year, but this is a, this is, could be a Rafael Montero, maybe not as bad as Montero has been this year, but it, that's the concern with him. Yeah. Um, I just have to believe they saw something from him this year and felt like, you know what, we could just harness this. You know, we could really, we could really use a guy like that, you know, with, with that kind of stuff on the back end of the bullpen. Um, I hope it wasn't that Dusty pushed for it because he saw he had like one great seat and that postseason was fantastic. You go back to those numbers. He was great in the postseason for the Astros. Go look at him. The whip was unbelievable. The ERA was unbelievable. But, you know, you can't – that's the thing about baseball. You can't get romantic about a guy that gave you a nice few months. You have to look at the baseball card. No, yeah, you do, and I get it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Dusty did push for him, though. I mean, you heard what he said, and, you know, you you know how important of a guy, a person, from a personality and, you know, mentorship role – he was for the Astros back then. And, you know, a, a player's manager, a guy who prides himself on, um, you know, maybe not being the best in-game manager of all time, but maybe being the best people manager of all time, how much value he push, he puts on something like that. Um, and that's all at the end of the day to say the same thing. You got to have a pulse of your team. And if he felt like the Astros needed something like that in the bullpen, then you go out and do it because it's about now. And it's not about, you know, two or three years from now when guys can contribute. You know, the whole prospect thing that we talked about with Drew Gilbert. It's him or Corey Lee or Ryan Clifford, whoever the case may be. The window's now. It's open. Let's crawl through that thing. Um, so I would get it. I think if he pushed for anything and stood on a table for anything, I don't think he had to because I think it was Crane once he figured out how much money the Astros were going to be getting in return and just for those two prospects was Justin Verlander. Um, but I think Dusty's got to be happy uh, with getting both of those guys, maybe not necessarily the results. But again, you mentioned it. it's only two two outings for Graveman. Um, you, you give it you give it time. You know, it's never it's not always a quick fix. It, there's still a lot of baseball to be played. I think the guy's going to be more part of the sol- solution and the problem going forward. You have to believe it. And you know what? If it's not, then, 
at the end of the season, you can kind of start crossing things off like, all right, here's where we, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. And I'm talking about Montero. I'm talking about Abreu and I'm talking about maybe Graveman, you know, we'll see. And, you know, other decisions, maybe you look back on this and taking France out of the rotation is a bad deal too. But yeah, this is not a decision that is going to be looked upon as far as anybody else, but Dana Brown, you know, it's, it might've been dusty having some say in it, but this is right of the two trades that were made. This one is going to be more on Dana Brown's shoulders than either one of them. So we'll sure. see what happens with, with Kendall Graveman. And, you know, his stuff is definitely better than Seth Martinez. So you could still say you upgraded. Yes. Is, is he going to be better than Ryan Stanek? Probably. But that doesn't mean it's worth trading Corey Lee to get a Kendall Graveman. The other thing that I, I got to talk about before we finish the show, Simone Biles. You know, I'm, I'm such a fan of hers. It, it, it could have snuck under the radar for some people this weekend, but she was back in competitive competition after taking a two-year break. Gymnastics, a two-year break is a long, long time. For anything. Yeah. It, is, it is a long time not to be competing against the best in the world. And this girl just does what she, she came out. She looked better than everybody else. She kicked everybody's butt. She's just so awesome. She, she brought that joy that you know Simone Biles can bring. And remember, we talked to her nine years ago. She's been around kicking butt. When we talked to her nine years ago, she had already won two world championships, I believe, at that point. So this has been going on for 11. This is not supposed to happen in gymnastics. You talk about what Tom Brady did. You talk about what Phil Mickelson did when he just won the uh, championship. Uh, and, and Tiger Woods, uh, I think, was... Phil was with the, the PGA Championship, Tiger with the Masters and what they did, and, and that window's staying open. But, man, that's golf. This is gymnastics. This is women's gymnastics. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I, there's, I don't think, really a question now, you know, who the greatest. No, no that, that, that question is. ended long ago. <laughs> and, 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 you know, what, what I would like, I mean, you might know the answer to this, but the, the the synonymous name and you know Houston product always comes up is Mary Lou Retton, right? Well, the time that Mary Lou, you know, was great, you know, was a force in that sport. Is that can that touch, can that rival what Simone has done and continues to do? Like how much longer can Simone Biles continue to dominate, you know, women's gymnastics? Maybe that's an open-ended question still because she's still obviously at the top of her game and, you know, athleticism. But um, I think that's going to be really the the thing that we celebrate the most is that not only was she dominant, was she great, but for how long she did it. And, I mean, she might have, you know, another five, seven years in her. I don't know. <laughs> she's just an athletic freak and ageless wonder um and it's it's a lot of fun to watch i mean there's no question the mount rushmore of houston great houston athletes is getting bigger and bigger and bigger it seems like every year but in terms of those native houstonians simone biles you better make room for her up there too yeah simone biles right now is the top of the mount right because she's better than anybody else at her sport and it's not even close and while I love Akeem Elijah one, you know, he's not the best ever. 
and, and the NBA. While I love Jose Altuve or Craig Vigio or Jeff Bagwell or whatever, they're not the best. You know, Simone, J.J. Watt, you know, he's in that conversation because he that he's, you know, close to the top of anybody at his sport, at his position. But, man, yeah, it's, what she's done is just unbelievable. As far as Team USA, we, we haven't talked about him at all, been keeping up with everything that's going on with Team USA. And they lost to Sweden. And you could say they played really good against Sweden. I thought they played great against Sweden. But guess what? When you kind of didn't do your job in the first three games and you had to play against one of the best teams right off the bat, this is how you you yeah. lose. This is how you're out of the tournament quickly, uh, the first round of uh, knockout stage. And then, Sean, you know, the Megan Rapinos that you're counting on to make a shot when it matters because she's the veteran just – to totally miss the net, uh, Sophia Smith, to totally miss the net. They, they missed the net when you had a chance to, to put that team away. These are your two, two of your bigger strikers. Uh, you, you got nothing from Emily Morgan in this. I mean, it, 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 the big scores and strikers just didn't do their – that was the issue with the USA team more than anything. It wasn't defense. It wasn't the middle backs. It was, it was the grade A people at the top. They just didn't do their job. Now you're right. I I watched uh, some of that game, not all of it, but I saw the end and Rapino summed it up about as well as you possibly could have for a person in that situation to miss the net, calling it. It felt like a sick joke. Uh, it did, you know, watching it. It was like you're not even giving yourself a chance. And um, that that's that's what's so tough because you can live with, you know what, this is the best you've got, and the goalie just beat you. The goalie guessed right. They stopped you. But to not give yourself a chance, not once but twice in that situation, that hurts. That hurts. I don't, I don't know if there's a worse way to really lose when you have those opportunities and you just don't give yourself a chance. It's like a golfer, uh, you know, leaving a putt short, <laughs> you know, if you want to go that route. And it's it just – that stinks, and I can't imagine it. But it's it's definitely been a fun ride. You know, watching watching those those women compete, um, they've they've really I think got a lot of people to pay attention. You know, certainly over the last few years that otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, well, I mean, it's fun, but this is not as fun as it has been because you know the other teams won World Cups. You know, they're coming off winning a couple World Cups. Yeah. And the other part about this is when you hear somebody like Carly Lloyd, former Houston Dash player, Houstonian. Carly Lloyd, one of the greatest that we've seen in the sport, takes some shots at this team for not doing what they're supposed to do and for taking stuff for granted, for coming in there with high and mighty when maybe they shouldn't have doing that. Uh, I, I heard Glenn Davis, our, our, our local Houstonian here that covers soccer about as well as anybody say he agrees with a lot of what Carly Lloyd says. You know, that's concerning. And, and this, this whole Team USA women, Soccer programs got to get it back together, and they got to get that killer instinct back. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard otherwise, but I always kind of wait, you know, reserve judgment when you hear things like that. You know, they came in too hot, you know, high and mighty, that sort of thing. And because that's that's the perception, right? That's kind of what you think, all the attention they get, and then they just kind of fall flat the way that they did. Um, it's one thing to say, like, hey, you know, these women know how to execute better than they did. 
they didn't play their best. You know, they they should know better in certain situations. They should be able to make certain plays. I get all that. But to say that you were basically, you know, ready to be gifted this opportunity, um, I, I just I reserve judgment on that because even though you haven't heard otherwise, you don't really know that that's the situation. Obviously, you know, these people that cover it on the regular maybe know better than some of us, but unless you really know what's going on in that team, regardless of the sport, men or women, I just never liked that sort of criticism. Well, when it's Carly Lloyd, though, and two years ago she was there and she said, I saw some of this stuff starting to seep in a couple of years ago. I mean, to me, that's pretty telling when it's, you know, other people making that criticism, but this is Carly Lloyd who, you know, was just at, you know, she was the reason why we were winning world cups. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, she would know better than most, but again, you know, it's, it's two years ago. Um, and I, I don't know, like if, if you polled every woman in that locker room, would they, would they say the same thing gun to their head? If they're being truly honest, like that's really what it comes down to. Cause only they know if they put it all on the line or if they quite simply deserve that outcome, if they deserve that fate and you know, Hey, look, that's, that's, that's the beauty of sports, but that's also the ugly side of sports, man. But that's why we all watch. So uh, for this group of women, it's going to be the last opportunity they have. Um, unfortunately, they came up short. And like Rapino said, man, it was a sick joke. Just not give yourself a chance in those two situations. It hurt. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to Texans preseason, an actual game. In three yeah. days, and me and Sean are going to be live for the post-game show. So make sure you're subscribed so you get notifications for it. And we're going to push that out as soon as the game's over with, as quickly as we can push it out. So be ready, be prepared. We get to talk about C.J. Stroud, how he looks, how the rest of the offense looks, what what did the Miko Ryan's team looks like in a real type of situation against another team, not just their own guys, is the defense – really, really good, or is the Texans' offense maybe a little bit of a concern right now? And it's it's not the defense being so good, but it's the Texans' offense being bad. That's, that's what we're going to find out, Sean. Yeah. I, you know, all you can do is, uh, you know, just watch the game, man. And I, I just – I think all the time, like, there's always something really good. Maybe not the last three years because I want to pretend like that didn't happen. Uh, but in, in typical normal NFL training camps with the Texans, there's always a lot of really good things to get excited about. And then preseason hits, regular season hits, and what you thought you were seeing wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, but I know this, <laughs> the honeymoon, uh, it might still be ongoing for the D'Amico Ryans effect and Stroud and Will Anderson. I think more than not, it, it's going to be a pretty good hit, man. Uh, so I think we got a lot of really fun things to watch for this season. So I'm banking on that. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>